Hello, my name is Andreina. Hi, my name is Gabriela, and this is Wigs and Candles. A podcast about two sisters and their obsession with period film. Welcome to season three. We are so happy to be back. Yes, welcome, and thank you for your patience. We had planned to release this season last fall, but we are two busy moms and we got caught up in the complications of daily life. But we are back and ready to launch our brand new season. Yes, Nene, and for this season, um, our season three, in addition to an amazing selection of films, we are also going to try a few new things. That's right, Gabby. We are going to try a brand new platform for recording. We also have a new section and some special new guests. So thank you for being here. Let's do it. Today, we are discussing a South Korean film, Park Chang-wook's The Handmaiden. Yes, Gabby. Our first East Asian film. I am so excited to discuss this movie. But Gabby, can you tell us a little bit how we came to pick this movie? It's a little bit of a, a story. Yes, Nini, a funny story. Um, <laughs> but with a happy ending. Um, we, All of us, we met last summer uh, at your place. And my husband and our daddy were watching a film uh, on uh, on television and um, my husband tells me later on in the evening I was watching this film with your daddy and it looked so good it was an Asian film I cannot tell if it was Japanese or Korean and it looked so good and it was like a period film and um, it was so interesting but at some point I got up to get something to drink and when I came back your daddy had changed the channel so I couldn't finish the film and I would love to finish it. So you, you, you heard this. You heard my husband telling this story. And for some reason, you knew with these three hints, you knew what he was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I immediately knew he was talking about the handmaiding because I knew that movie was uh, playing on Netflix and I knew it was a very compelling film even from the start. Uh, so I, I said, is it the handmaiden? And, and it was, and I jumped on the opportunity to do that movie for the podcast because I had always wanted to see it and I didn't have a chance before. So it was the perfect occasion, uh, to catch up. And yeah. wow. Yes, Nene. I'm also so happy that, that through this funny coincidence, we, you remember and we got a chance to, to watch it and include it in our, in our podcast. And I'm actually also very happy that my husband got up to get us something to drink and my daddy changed the channel because actually <laughs> that wouldn't have gone well <laughs> if my husband and our daddy would have watched this film together on a, on a sunny afternoon in the summer. <laughs> I don't think it would this have is, been appropriate. <laughs> this is not the type of movie you want to be watching with your father-in-law. With your father-in-law. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Gabby, before we find out why, can you tell us some facts about the movie? Sure, Nene. The Handmaiden 
is a South Korean film from 2016, directed by Park Chang-wook, who's also known uh, for movies like Old Boy. The movie is inspired by the novel Fingersmith by Welsh writer Sarah Waters, which was published in 2002. While the novel is set in Victorian-era Britain, the movie takes place in Korea during the 1930s, when Koreans were living on the Japanese colonial rule. It stars Kim Min-yi as the lady of the house and Kim Tae-ri as her handmaiden. It also stars Ha Yung-woo as Count Fujiwara and Cho Yin-woo as Uncle Kutsuki, the two main male characters. The film premiered in Cannes in 2016 and became an instant critic's favorite. It won numerous awards, and notably many critics' awards, including the Busan Film Critics Awards in South Korea, the Chicago Film Critics Association and the Los Angeles Film Critics Association's Best Non-English Language Film, as well as the BAFTA for Best Film Not in the English Language. It is also special that the film won two women-focused awards, Women Film Critics Circle's Best Foreign Film by or About Women and Best Foreign Film from the Alliance of Women Film Journalists in New York. This is an amazingly <laughs> impressive list of accolades, which gives you just a hint of the beauty and of the value of this film within yeah. cinematography. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. It's and it's just and it's just a fraction of the awards that this film um, earned when it came out. Like it's really a tiny, tiny fraction because when we were doing the research, I mean, the list went on and on um, from many, many, many other um, uh, either f uh, film uh, critic awards or festivals. Um, yes. So how about a short summary of the, of the story, Nene? Yeah, thank you very much, Gabby. Thank you for those facts. And, and um, I'm going to try my best to summarize the plot of this movie. It's quite complex, so I'm going to try it, uh, my best. So here it goes. The Handmaiden is a story told in three acts, full of twists and turns and shocking revelations. It tells the story of Suki, a poor orphan girl hired to play the role of a handmaiden at a grand old house owned by an eccentric man. Uncle Kusuki, who's obsessed with Japanese erotic and pornographic books. Suki's job is to convince the lady of the house, Lady Hideko, to fall in love and marry Kon Fujiwara, a con artist and Suki's partners in, partner in crime. However, Lady Hideko and Suki fall in love in the process, unleashing a series of events with ever more surprising consequences. Uh, yeah, there's not much more that we can add because you better watch the film. <laughs> yes, because we don't, you know, and, and something that we always say in every episode is while discussing this movie, we we will most likely discuss spoilers. So the best, uh, the, the what we recommend is to go watch the movie and then come back and listen to the podcast because um, we, we try not to give everything away, but when we discuss certain things, 
you know, some things will come out like the ending and other and other important pieces of the story. So, okay, Gabby, let's move on to the discussion now. Um, this is the first time we are exploring uh, a time period that is so late in the 20th century. Um, it's uh, specifically it's the 1930s, but it's also outside of North America and Europe. The film depicts a period when Korea was still under Japanese colonial rule. So what happened is between 1910 and 1945, Korea was ruled as part of the Empire of Japan. And Korea only became free when Japan surrendered on August 15 uh, during World War II. So my question to launch the discussion is, did you feel that you learned about the period? And did the historical context inform your understanding of the story? Nene, very interesting question and also not easy to answer, um, given the fact, as we mentioned at the beginning, that we're not so familiar with this period of uh, history and also area of history. However, I did learn a little bit, mm. um, meaning the fact that this happened, I was not aware of at all. And so this gave me already the first glimpse of the incredibly fascinating piece of history. Um, what I also found interesting mm. is how the film portrays um, Uncle Kutsuki, who, in spite of all these Koreans being under the influence of colonial Japanese rule, um, one would think they would reject everything Japanese because they were under their oppression, let's say. And it, It was exactly uh -huh. the opposite. Everybody was trying to, to aim and to reach um, Japanese manners mm. and Japanese style of life and so on. So they would really look up to Japanese at all, a, a, a lot. They would learn Japanese and the Uncle Kutsuki had a beautiful house um, where he combined both of the things he liked the most. He had one part of the house that was very... Western European that was built um, according to English uh, inspirations and standards. And he had an entire part yeah. of the house um, uh, built to Japanese, in Japanese style, Japanese um, architecture. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I found that interesting how they combined in this period, how they combined this Pan Asian um, style and surroundings. I was yes. not aware of that. I found it fascinating. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about you? What did you take? Um, my impression is very similar to yours because I am very ignorant of um, the history of, of, of Korea and Japan. Um, and uh, I did not know the, this specific period of time um, and, and, and that Korea was under uh, Japanese rule. Probably this is something that we should have known, but... Here we are. We didn't. Um, so I did learn that. And what I what I found fascinating when it comes to the movie itself um, is that the script, um, the the novel, <clears throat> the novel in which it is based, takes place in like we said, Victorian Britain, England, and here is taking place in a completely different time period and and place. Uh, but the movie, the script, let's be specific, the script managed to. Uh, portray the dynamics of the historical context very well and they become a very important part 
of the plot and the narrative and the relationship between the characters. Uh, because Suki, she is Korean, and the reason she's picked to do this job, to go and work as a handmaiding in this grand old house is because she speaks good Japanese. So, you know, right away you can see the advantages of knowing Japanese and the advantages of, of being um, knowledgeable of Japanese culture to be able to kind of work your way up and, you know, and find and find uh, better, better opportunities. Um, yeah. So it was, it was a fascinating um and and this dynamic between the Korean culture and the Japanese culture play out in in, in different ways as well. Uh, in particular, um, you know, I I don't know if we can. I think maybe we can bring it already into the discussion because the the rest of the discussion is very is going to touch on this very much. Um, the uh, uh, the one of the main male characters who is Uncle Kusuki. Um, this man, like we said in the summary, he's uh, he's become it's like a self-made rich man, and his obsession is uh, art books, all books, and he has built an immense library, an immense library of books. The the twist, <laughs> the twist in the plot and the story is that these are all erotic and pornographic Japanese books uh so he's obsessed with japanese culture and i think at some point uh when when um the fake count fujiwara uh is planning um their whole con job uh, he says he's completely obsessed with japanese culture uh and i'm gonna play this japanese count so that we can seduce him and obtain what we want from him um so it, it plays out in many different ways, this, this dynamic um, that happens because of the historical context. So I, I found that fascinating. So the, the reason why I say that uh, the fact that the uncle collects um, uh, erotic and pornographic books has uh, relevance to the next topic is because there's a lot of sex in this movie. Is part of the plot. Uh, it is is something that advances the story. is 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 a central central part of this movie. I myself enjoyed the eroticism and uh, the visuals of this movie, but I was really uh, curious. Um, to see how it had been received. Obviously, the film was uh, extremely well received, but this particular aspect, uh, 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 I don't know. Uh, I found this quote um, by one of my favorite writers, um, Gia, uh, Gia Tolentino. She's a young, bright writer from the United States. And she wrote an article for The New Yorker. And this is what she said in the article about, about the sex in the movie. Uh, she says, and I quote, sex inevitably, is at the center of all this code switching. And yet, sex proves liberating only for the women in the plot, not the men. So let's, can, can, can we talk about it? I think, I, think the central, I think the central theme of the movie is the rebellion of women against the perversion and abuse of men. What do you think about that? Bonnie. Not only it's uh, one of the central topics of the film, but also maybe the, <laughs> the 
the most, the one that's going to give you most, most material for discussion. Um, I would say definitely that it was very liberating for them as women. Um, what I found interesting is even though it plays such a big role, yeah, sex plays a big role in the entire plot, in the entire film. Um, you don't see it all the time. So there's maybe two big, very graphic sex scenes, love scenes yeah, in the film. Yeah, but all yeah. the rest, and the, this is a very lengthy film, all the rest of the sex content is in our minds. It's Lady Hideko reading out to a audience of rich men from these pornographic novels. So it's very subtle in that sense. You know, the parts that are really given to the men are just spoken and not really visually <laughs> for the audience, available for the audience. Um, yes. This gives it such a nice twist because it's really just putting everything, the entire sexual energy and the entire passion is is reserved for Lady Hideko and Suki, which is um, it's, it's something very treasurable, I think, the relationship of two women. They were not counting on this. They were not counting on falling in love with each other. And you mentioned at the beginning, this uh, film is told in three acts. So from the perspective of three main characters, the first yeah. is Suki, then Lady Hideko gets to tell her side of the story, and at the end, the fake, the Count Fujiwara. So we see in both of their chapters how they were surprised each other of finding the other one attractive. Yeah. So I think that's kind of yeah, that's kind of like a little like a little treasure that they were like this is reserved. The really special moments are reserved for the women. There is no interaction between women and men in the film. Yeah. It was, it was, I, I found it kind of special. Um, and yes, uh, totally liberating for both of them, because as I said, they were not really counting on this on falling for each other. So this was obviously also new for them kind of, and they found a ground, they found an easiness between them that allowed them to bloom and, um, yeah, leave out everything, all the passion that they felt to leave it out just between them. Yeah. So I think it was, it was, it was, yeah, very special. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and let's, let's, because this is, this is central to the, to the plot. So what, what happened is in, we, we see the, we see, like you said, three version of the story. And in this movie, this is so well done that you, completely understand where you are at all times yes you are there's a mo there are moments where you are confused because the filmmaker has chosen not to tell you something but you are you 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 know the intentions of each of the characters or so you think or so exactly you think that you know the intentions of each character so in the in the sections where where they they where Suki, because she's kind of like the main one, she thinks she's fooling Lady Hideko. Um, uh, she's she thinks that Lady Hideko is as an innocent woman who has never 
thought about sex or known about sex. She's a virgin. She's never been touched. Uh, she's, she doesn't know anything. And there's this, uh, and I, I know we need to talk about all the other scenes. The, the, the main scene where, a, you know, when they come together at first, there has been, prior to the main sex scene, there has been already some highly erotic moments um, in that, in that uh, segment, in that uh, version of the story. Suki is supposed to teach, convince you, you know, you have to marry, you have to fall in love with Khan Fujiwara. I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you. So they're playing in bed and they're role playing. They're, they are playing a role. And I think this is what uh, Gian Tolentino was talking about in, in co-switching. They are, these mm-hmm. two women are, um, they are co-switching, meaning at, po- at some points, uh, Suki is playing the role of the lady and the lady is playing the role of the maid. They even switch clothes at some point. And in this moment, they are also role playing. And Suki is telling, okay, so this is what the, this is what the count will do to you. And he will cut you this way and he will do this. And they are being really, really playful. And then slow, and then they are, and then as they start to do certain moves and touch each other, they're like, wow, this feels good. <laughs> this feels really good. Yes. Oh. And it's, it's interesting that you start with this perspective. Yeah. Because as a viewer, you completely buy this. Yeah. You completely buy oh. the, you completely believe, um, the the so-called innocence of Lady Hideko, yeah, and that Suki was kind of the more experienced one, yeah. Yes. Um, while when Lady Hideko tells to tell the story from her perspective, exactly, <laughs> it's completely the opposite. Um, she knows, of course, a lot about this she, topic. And why does she know? We haven't explained it. Why does she know? Why does she lot? know? Please tell us. The, yeah, when we so in in Suki's version, Suki is the one who has experienced Lady Hideko is innocent. In Lady Hideko's version, we learn that she has been raised by her uncle since very a very young age to read, to read the erotic and pornographic books. She learns to read by reading pornographic texts as a little girl, and uh, the uncle's wife was doing this. She was doing the readings. And then she went mad. She couldn't take it anymore. And she uh, died by suicide. And he takes his niece and puts her in the same role. So she has been all her life reading these erotic and pornographic books for, for, for this super rich man. And she's play acting. She's play anti. She's role playing as well. What she's reading. I found some of these texts quite, quite beautiful, to be honest with beautiful. you. Beautiful. <laughs> because right? they're kind of like elegant por- pornography. <laughs> it was like very elegant and it was like Very poetic. Said, it was all very po- Yeah. And, and, and here, I think here we are showing um, our, our ignorance of this, of this because, um, and I truly apologize because I wanted to research um, this aspect of the movie and I wanted to research what texts they were reading. Um, and I didn't have time to research um, which books they were reading, uh, but they are, you know, very poetic um, and, and, and just, you know, but this is for the pleasure of the men. So 
and 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 she's having a terrible time. Like obviously, she's she, she's completely she's, traumatized. One has to say the 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 chapter of Lady Hideko when she tells the story, you learn how deeply traumatized she she is. Yeah, and what a traumatic childhood she has experienced under the um, education by her uncle. So it's it's kind of tough. It's kind of tough. It, it <laughs> to is a watch. horrible. It's, yeah, it's not really graphic. This is the thing. This is the this is the mastery of the script and of the director that they let you know so much. They give you so much information and so much to digest about the growing up of Lady Hideko under her uncle's tutoring. <clears throat> but it's all very subtle. It's all with words. It's just with one image and so on. So, yeah, um, I, absolutely. Absolutely. It's because when, when she's doing these sessions for these very rich men, because essentially what the uncle is doing, he's a collector. So he's selling the books. He's collecting other books. Uh, so these men here are also going supposedly to buy these books. So they're all sitting very elegantly in this extraordinary a Japanese style room. Uh, it, 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 all of these scenes are, are just like, like masterpieces. Like each of them is like a Japanese illustration uh, in the tradition of these Japanese books. Like you can see the, 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 the aesthetic level that they went to portray this in film. Um, and and she has to enact different acts as well with dummies and you know it's it's, it's just it's a it's a very tough sequence but also mm -hmm. a, a extraordinarily made sorry I, i'm yes, losing yes, my, yes, my, yes. my my pronunciation <laughs> so what we learn is that she's she knows she it all pretty much she knows, <laughs> she knows, she knows it all but of course she lets suki Every possible sexual act that can be done. She has read she knows it all. about it. Yeah, and she lets, of course, Suki uh, believe that she's teaching her something. It's part of her game. Um, and what's funny, in the heat of this moment, <laughs> very good. It's, um, it's also such an incredible element of the entire film. It's kind of humorous. Humorous. Yes. It's so funny. Saki is somehow cute and funny. <laughs> and she says, oh, lady, <laughs> oh, my lady, um, you know a lot. <laughs> How do you know all of this? <laughs> and she says, you are a natural. <laughs> you are natural. <laughs> exactly. How did the, uh, uh, um, the director find the balance between between the highly erotic moment because it's very erotic. It's like very really erotic. a very. I mean, um, I seen it described as pretty much um, kind of lesbian pornography style. You know, playing on that well, kind very, of it's imagery. Very, it's very open. It's very. It's graphic. It's, it's very graphic, yeah. except for showing the money shots. Yeah, but yeah. all the other things, you know, you can see. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, how did he manage? How did he manage to balance these two with the humor? And I think with it's the humor. The actress, it's amazing. I, I think the actresses are here. Just amazing. their performance. Their performance is unforgettable. 
So now let's take that sentence and talk about these two women. King Mingyi, the Lady Hideko, who plays Lady Hideko, she was to that moment an experienced actress. Kim Tae-ri, who plays Suki, was an absolute rookie. She was a model and she was picked between 1,500 auditors, women who cast for this uh, role. She was picked. So this is her first major film at all. And she completely took the screen. (laughs) These two women together. (sighs) You cannot really picture or you cannot really imagine anyone else. Wow. Having this chemistry between them. Oh. Um, so uh, Kim Tae-ri uh, admired already King Ming-yi, oh <laughs> the actress, God. the experienced actress. She was always looking up to her. So for her, it was a huge honor to play with her in that film and to learn from her. So they really took her under their... Oh. Like the film crew and Kim Ming-yi, they really took her... Uh, through this journey of doing this entire film and, and of course, these very demanding scenes. My God. This is her first role, and then she has to do this this scene. There's a little bit of trivia about this scene, but I don't know if we should talk about it now or maybe with the next topic. Because uh, I, I think let's go for it because the next one is just is similar to what we're talking about. Okay. So I think just go for it. Go for it. So um, what impressed me about this, because we have mentioned this already a few times already, sex, erotic, passion, and whatever, this is main the main core of the entire story. And we have talked about this in our podcast before. How about men filming sex scenes and how women film sex scenes, how women yes. direct or, women, or men directing influence mm-hmm. the the tone or the of, or the energy of a love scene in a film. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, interesting enough, this film, as we mentioned, is directed by a man. Mm-hmm. And the love story is, is a lesbian love story it's, it's, uh, between these wonderful two women. And Yet, I would say, it was done with such subtlety and um, with a lot of delicacy, I would say. So, in my in my eyes, Park Chung-wook um, really, I, I take off my hat <laughs> yeah. to him because he portrayed this love story like with a lot of respect and a lot of delicacy. Um, Mm -hmm. While investigating for the film, I read that, um, as I said, this actress was very young at that moment and was her first uh, role, first film. And to to shoot this scene, the two actresses, they rehearsed the entire choreography many times before, fully dressed. They rehearsed the choreography of the love scene before. And on the day of the shooting, all men were away from the set. There was only women on the film set that day. No man was present. Um, They had um, also, how do you call it? The, they have a certain name, the the ones who, who direct sex scenes, you know, the, Oh, the intimacy coordinators. Intimacy coordinators. They had intimacy coordinators. (laughs) 
And they they took a long time to shoot the scene because it was extremely demanding, extremely demanding. And it was, as I said, all, only women on the set on that day. Men had the day off. <laughs> oh, I want to clap. Exactly. This is why I said I take off my hat to the director for having this respect and subtlety of saying, this is, pra- I want it like this. <laughs> I want to have it like this, but you're going to do it on your own. Okay? You're going to yeah. do it on your pace and oh. you're going to do it on your own. And um, there's a moment <laughs> in that scene on the bed where they grab their hands. They oh. have to really hold each other. <laughs> to oh. hold each other the, both women, oh. Lady Hide Kwonsuki. And this, oh. is, this was actually not planned in the choreography, but the actress, Kim Tae-ri, was already so tired because it was really physically so demanding, this scene, that the more experienced actress, plays Lady Hideko, said, let's grab our hands and I hold you. <laughs> I hold you so that we just finish this. We nearly have it and we finished this. So I found that, um, yeah, I found it really remarkable, really remarkable. <gasps> the, <gasps> the background of this, as I said, is an extremely hot, we have to say, this is an extremely hot scene. And oh, it was brilliantly, <laughs> brilliantly made. Uh, and you have, oh to have, you, have a, you have to have a very, very fine touch to shoot such a scene and have it come through authentically and that you know the actresses have been treated with respect. Oh, Gabi, I want to thank you in every language I know. Danke, merci, gracias. Uh, because of the Arigato. research that you did. <laughs> um, because because uh, what you just, I, I didn't know this trivia. I, we, you know, we, I researched some parts, but not that. And this has illuminated this scene so much for me and clarified, helped me um, understand my feelings towards it. I did not feel that this scene was exploitative. I felt that this scene was exactly what it needed to be and to move the story forward. And I thought that the playfulness and the intimacy and the connection between the actresses, uh, you could see it through the the scene. Mm -hmm. And now that you have told me the behind the scenes, uh, that really confirms the feelings I got, like I didn't feel conflicted about this scene. Uh, but after I started reading, it's like, oh my God, maybe I should be conflicted about it. I'm a woman. Why am I not, not conflicted about this scene? I thought it was, like you said, hot. H-O-T, hot. <laughs> hot in capital letters. It is beautiful. It's and beautiful. That moment, it is beautiful and funny. And that moment where they grab their hands is like the peak of connection yes yes exactly coming together and when these two women that you start to think "Uh oh uh oh uh oh these two are maybe going to turn this thing around Mm -hmm. and pair up rather than you know play the game for the men they're supposed to be playing it like 
has such this hand clasp has such they leveled they leveled up in that moment yeah yeah they leveled, yeah, they leveled in that up. moment they completely lose this um hierarchy of i am being the lady of the house and you're being my handmaid in that moment they completely level up and they said okay we're going to go yes. through this yeah they leveled <laughs> Together. up but but also you start to think okay but because we're not certain we are not until the last moment of the movie we're yeah. not really sure if these are they playing a role are they still playing a role or or what because they start us again but in that moment we start to suspect oh maybe maybe they do love each other maybe maybe they are going to you know a, be, be, both women are playing roles for other men Finally, in this scene, they're not playing anything for any man. Because yeah, Suki, totally. Suki, Suki is playing a role for a man. She's being hired by the fake count. And mm -hmm. um, Hideko as well. She's been playing the role of this uh, erotic reader for her uncle or her life and for this man. In this moment, this belongs to them. Yes. This is the moment that totally. this belongs to them. Their pleasure, their bodies their decisions, their minds. Uh, and, and I think you can completely feel this when they, you know, when they clasp those. I think mean, what a brilliant thing to have happened. Anyway, that, that, that's, um, of course, you have to have, hopefully, watch the movie first. <laughs> because we have it. Please do watch it. <laughs> we have it spoiled it to no end. But, um, yeah, and the thing is, like you said, if this is just one thing and there's just another one, but it's so memorable. It's, they're so memorable, and that's pretty much. And this, it, it is a main topic. It is a main. The entire trauma of Lady Hideko, and um, at the end of the day, what really, what really opened their eyes that they really loved each other was this love scene. Was this night that they spent together? So it's a core topic of the film, and there's it's, it's just this. The rest of the film, you don't see any. Yeah, at least not graphic nudity or whatever, and it, it no. was sufficient. It was yeah, sufficient. and and they yeah, didn't and, and it. Mm -hmm. they did. Yeah, and and maybe we can go to the next <clears throat> quote uh, before we move on to the other two sections that we have prepared for this for this uh, episode. Um, I found this. I was reading um, an interview with the uh, the author of the book, uh, Sarah Waters. Um, uh, so she's the author of Fingersmith, the, the novel in which the movie is based. And she said, Fingersmith was about finding space for women to be with each other away from prying eyes. And then she con continues, though ironically, the film is a story told by a man. It's still very faithful to the idea that the women are appropriating a very male pornographic tradition to find their own way of exploring their desires, end quote. I thought that that quote was so interesting, and especially the word appropriating. Um, is a, is yes. Then we have spoken about this in our previous two seasons, and we have discussed a lot of uh, films, a lot of love scenes, and a lot we of love. Also yeah, and we have also discussed um, women directing love scene and men directing love scene. We have also discussed um, same-sex love scenes directed by a man or by a woman. And mm -hmm. here we have exactly this combination. We, we saw in Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which was also directed by a woman, uh, which was directed by a woman, um, we, we, we said 
this is special because it was done through the eyes of a woman. So she knows what to put the focus on and how mm-hmm. to convey the energy the right way. And, um, how would it, how would it be if a man would, would direct such a scene? And we have seen it here. And, um, and he manages, the director managed to leave this to women and to, to this, exactly what the writer says, that these two women are really appropriating this very male made milieu. They are taking, they are making in their uh-huh. own and they are making the rules <laughs> uh-huh. by themselves. In, in this area. And the director let them, or the screenwriter as well, they let them the stage. It's, it's yeah. absolutely m- mastering. I, I, yeah, I agree because what we have talked a lot about uh, throughout the many, many um, episodes that we have done is about the gaze, right? Uh, especially when we talk about Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which we, we talked about in our last uh, season, previous season. Um, it was all about the female gaze and what the female gaze wants to see and where it wants to direct your attention to. And, and, and I think um, in this movie, magically, like what you said, Park Chung Wook, really somehow managed to take away the male gaze. He, yeah, you don't feel the male gaze. You feel that this gaze is for each other, for each other. Um, And I think this is just brilliant uh, script writing and also brilliant directing, um, period. So, yeah. Totally. Okay, I think I think we you know we could talk about this for a long time, but there's other aspects of the movie that um, we want to explore as well, obviously, um, because so far we have talked a lot about the sex and the erotic aspect, but we haven't talked a lot about you know the the, the fact that this is a period film, uh, and one of the things that we always like to you know the thing that we love about period film is that it takes us to another time and another place, and it gives us a, a lens to the life of women. I, maybe we can just add a couple things here. I mean, you know, their liberation is that they are they stop playing their roles for men. I think I think that's, <laughs> that's a, a very good yeah. way to see it. Yes. Yeah. They. The, yeah. The both of them at certain point stop playing the roles they are supposed to play. For men, and I start playing the roles for each other, and then for their own lives. And I think this totally. says a lot about you know, you know, this the, the and and what and and what women need to do to to have agency to to live their own lives. They had to do a lot, and it's very empowering as a story. It's very empowering, and uh, the, what I also liked about the entire story. <laughs> which is maybe one of the topics that my mom, our mom would like about the story. It has a touch of revenge. Oh yeah. Um, oh. And, <laughs> and this is always, as, as you just said, very important. Evil man. <laughs> God damn it. Because that man, Uncle Kusuki is one of the evilest characters I ever encounter in any movie book uh, or anything. He was a monster. He was a monster. So Lady Hide could really, we, we, we're not going to give it away, but she really took revenge on these <gasps> two men <laughs> in the best there, way possible. Oh, there's a scene. Oh, there's a revenge scene that is extraordinary. 
It is aesthetically perfect. Exactly perfect. Should we talk just a little bit before we go into a, a quiz? If yeah. I'm not mistaken, you're talking about the library scene. Yes. Yes. So just to wrap it up, this Uncle Kuzuki has millions uh books which are worth millions in his library, which he has designed and made super poshy. <clears throat> So once the two women figured out that they were kind of being uh, tangled up in a bad plan that would end up bad for both of them, they decide to break free, leave the house. Uncle Kusuki is leaving for a couple of days, so they say this is the moment. And then they go to the library and they destroy the library. So the contrast of what you have seen previously in the film of this uh, space of the library, which is just pure perfection, architectural perfection. It has a part that is like completely, I would say completely Eastern, uh, Western European with dark book, uh, bookshelves and paneled wooden floors and so on. And there's another section of the library, which is in absolute perfect Japanese style with um, uh, mats, rice mats and, yeah, the entire Japanese style. And it, you have seen all through the film what a perfect space of tidiness, cleanness, um, arrangement, Ooh. symmetry. <laughs> um, it was a sacred place for the uncle, yeah, who would um, play all his perversion. He would just let it loose in this room. <clears throat> so you have seen it, everything super nice. And then these two women get into this room and start destroying the books. So this contrast of um, having books piled up on the floor, um, uh, sheets, paper, sheet, sheets of paper shredded on the floor is a, is a, is, is chaos against order is it's a beautiful visually from the cinematography point of view visually an incredible made contrast to the perfection you have just experienced up until then and of course the revenge touch maybe you can dwell on that (laughs) oh my god this scene i have forgotten about it because i was so uh excited with the sex uh Uh, I will say this is an even, perhaps even superior moment in the movie. I mean, this is, and I love what you said, the cleanliness and the, yeah, the the, the space is so clean. However, what happens in it is so dirty. So perverse and dirty. So perverted, right? Everything that's happening there is a whole of perversions and ugliness, right? For the service Mm -hmm. of men. Uh, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, so it's dirt is clean, but, uh, everything that's happening is the, the, you know, it's depraved. Um, and then they, they really take charge of this place and just, this just destroyed it. And it's, it, it's a superbly directed scene. And in every shot of this movie, it's like a jewel. It's like a, Every every single shot of this movie, I will say, is perfect. You could it's stop, perfect. yeah. You could stop the movie at any. You can pause, and you're gonna have an extraordinarily composed shot. 
you know, every single, yeah, you can pause and you wouldn't have the composition, the framing where the people are standing uh, in relation to each other, where the colors, the color palette, the geometry of the Japanese architecture, um, you know, they use, how they use uh, uh, Japanese uh, the symmetry of the Japanese architecture for storytelling. Uh, it, it, it just over, it's just over, it just like goes on and on and on in the richness of visual language. Um, it is just unending, the beauty. The beauty exactly. is unending. Yeah. Totally, but I, I think, totally agree. Uh, yeah. And this scene is like the peak of that aesthetic uh, yeah. achievement. Oh, <laughs> yes, because they're breaking chaos, but it's, yeah. it's it's beautiful how they um they also throw bottles of ink over the books and the ink just flows in a perfect, <laughs> perfect arc <laughs> of readiness <laughs> oh, over the now. over the books. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, Gabby, do you want to, let's move on to our, uh, we have a brand new segment that we want to introduce. Uh, do you want to introduce it or should I? Let me give it a try. So, we want to try something new. We have prepared a so-called Wicks and Candles quiz. We have four questions that we're going to answer um, one by one um, to just highlight some of the most important topics and things that we liked about this film. So I'm going to go for the first one and then maybe you can take the second one. Um, our first question from the Wicks and Candles quiz is called, what is your sweaty wick? Meaning, <laughs> what's the thing you like the less <laughs> of the movie? Something that you didn't like. So Nene, question number one, what is your sweaty wick in The Handmaiden? Oh my God. So uh, I was thinking about this before we started um, and I don't have anything negative to say about the movie or the script, the cinematography, the acting or directing. I have no sweaty weeks to give for this. However, uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give my sweaty week to something, to a part of the story. And I'm going to give it to the character of the uncle, Uncle Kusuki. Because this man is the definition of a sweaty wig. It's <laughs> disgusting. Nene, that would also be my sweaty wig if I would just jump in. I was just yeah. thinking, if, if someone deserves a sweaty wig, then it's Uncle Kusuki. <laughs> Let's give him the most stinkiest sweaty wig possible. He is a totally. sweaty wig. Can you imagine how gross that is? And he was the grossest, most perverted, horrible character I've ever seen. And in that sense, technically speaking, incredibly well written. Because you, oh, really, yeah. you really turn to hate this man. You really turn to despise this character. So he yeah. is worth all of the sweaty weeks. <laughs> okay. Well, there's, you know, that's the first question of the quiz. Okay, perfect. Okay, second question. What is your shining candle? Something you really loved about this film. Okay, so my shining candle. Um, I think I made myself quite clear when we were talking about the sex scene. And I think I'm going to give it to that first love's making scene. Um 
it is just masterfully directed. And after you told me the behind the scenes of it, I'm just more in love. Uh, the sexiness, the humor, the pacing, the acting. It is absolutely exhilarating. I was just giddy. I was giddy when I was watching it. It's like, I can't believe I'm seeing this. I was completely overtaken by the storytelling. I was moved in every sense. I was moved aesthetically. Like I, my mind was going, it's like I'm, I'm, I was thinking about the shots. Uh, there's this shot of uh, Suki between Lady Hideko's leg. So it's hilarious. It's humorous and and funny. So it kind of it kind of um, yeah, it's it's version a lesbian porn, but it's also not taking itself seriously because they are role playing. I was just completely blown away by the choices by 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 the cho <clears throat> the, the choices that the script and the director made to tell this uh, and put this together. Uh, because so there's, that's there's my... not, not, yeah, because there's not too much, not too little. Everything they did, yeah, in the entire sequence, has a has a symbolism, has a kind of a meaning. Oh yes, totally. there's nothing meaningless. Yeah. There's something behind it. Yeah, for you. So, nothing... so that takes that takes my shiny candle. What, shiny what about candle. you? What is what is your shiny candle? Um, shiny, my shiny, candles, shiny candle. Shining candles. Uh, my shining candles are the two actresses. The performance of the two actresses. Um, Uh, King Mi Yi, who plays Lady Hideko, she fascinated me by the stoicism that she uh, radiates. You know, she was always so, um, yeah, so incredibly elegant and, and, of course, a certain coolness she had. She was completely destroyed in, in the inside, but she, of course, had to play the role of the elegant, uh, um, cold, lady of the mm -hmm. house um mm. so her performance was really really fascinating for me and her beauty um they they made something really amazing with costume design and makeup design and she would of course be dressed actually kind of european western style the dresses were not really typical in my eyes i know very little but i wouldn't really name them typical Korean or typical Japanese. They were kind of somehow Europeanized, but the hairdos were variation for my taste. And when she would read the books um, for the wow. uncle's audience, for the uncle, for the men, she would be in complete traditional Japanese attire. And it's amazing how this actress can can reflect it's a, it's a, the she's a surface of projection for both um mm. her face is perfect for both you know to represent the japanese i don't know japanese geisha i don't know the japanese yeah. woman with the red lips the big black wig of uh yeah her hair and yeah her japanese attire and to to play the soft um melancholic, phlegmatic um, dame. <laughs> mm -hmm, so her mm -hmm. entire her entire energy, her, what she radiates as an actress in that in that role, really, the, the, I, I thought this woman is like, <laughs> she gets straight A's from me. And also, as I said, both actresses are my shining candles. Um, Kim Tae-ri, who plays Suki, um, Because she was so humorous. She was so fresh. She was also so spontaneous. You completely, 
you completely uh, submerge in submerge in the in the story because they play so well, and she has a, f a certain freshness and a f certain naivety ah. um, that is so authentic. And of course, after reading for research and that she was so young and she was so new. Um, of course, and then you know this is a very talented, very talented actress. So, yeah, I give wow. to, I give my shining candles to the actresses. Yes, a round of applause. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> round of applause to the actresses. Just brilliant, both of them. Um, okay, so what's the next? Uh, the next question in the quiz. Next question in the quiz: stolen costume. What piece of clothing? out of the film, would you like to keep? This is a tough one because the costume design was amazing um, and very versatile because they, they showed Western clothing and they showed Asian typical clothing. So we have a lot to choose from, Nene. <gasps> yes. Oh, my God. Um, this movie is just so beautiful. Um, and I, I surprised myself uh, answering this, uh, this question because I thought I was going to pick something either Japanese or Korean for my uh, stalling. I, I think probably if I watch again, I will probably pick one of those more um, traditional pieces. But the ensemble that, just, that I just, as soon as I saw it, I said, ah, this is what I'm keeping was... Uh, at the end of the film, Lady Hideko wears this um, Western clothing and she's wearing like this long pencil skirt, black pencil skirt with this beautiful uh, white blouse. And I just lost my mind. <laughs> <laughs> a very I do want that outfit. <laughs> a very 1930s, just, just exquisite. I was like, this is the piece of costume I'm keeping from this time period. It was just so beautiful. Just this long black skirt and this, this uh, very beautiful, uh, delicate white blouse that she's wearing. And uh, Yeah. <laughs> what about, beautiful what about, what is your stolen oh costume? I, I would need a huge suitcase <laughs> to pack all my stolen costume pieces from this film. Um, if we may say so. The costume, as everything has been perfect in this film, the costume design was one of them. Um, there's a lot of close-ups uh, to clothing. There's a close-up on the shoes that Lady Hideko gives Suki, a pair of shoes, because Suki lost one shoe. So she, so you see clo a close-up of the shoes, and they're beautiful shoes. I love them. Maybe I take those ones. I put them as first in the suitcase. <laughs> then there's a lot of gloves. Lady Hideko wears a lot of gloves. So you see a lot of gloves and also close-ups of the gloves. That She has drawers full, full of gloves. And she has black gloves that she uses a lot during the film. So that's also kind of like a very, very unique piece of wardrobe that you repeatedly see in the film. There's one scene when um, Lady Hideko is just like playing, playing with Suki, like making her believe that she that she's so beautiful before they before they really fall in love or whatever. Um, and she lets her handmaiden, she lets Suki try some of her clothing, and some of her dresses and some of her jewelry. And then you see, um, you also has a close up shot of the corset and the brass that they're wearing and it's incredibly handcrafted the fabrics the buttons the lace 
it's it's a uh, yeah, it's breathtaking. The beauty of this um, <clears throat> pieces. So those are three. <laughs> that I put in my wow! And um, there's one like a rope that Lady Hideko wears. Um, it's in some kind of kimono kind of style. <laughs> it's a very loose, um, white, um, with some patterns. One rope with a white like ribbon stash. that she wears. Yeah, uh-huh. that she wears for her for her honeymoon night, for her wedding night with Kono Fujiwara. And she jumps into that. And I found, I would love to have one of those to get up in the morning. <laughs> And wear kind of like a rope in Japanese style. That'd be very delicious. So my my suitcase is packed. <laughs> I think I think Park Shon Wook is looking for so is, is is calling you to get those pieces back. It's like, <laughs> let me take that suitcase. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think when I I think when when mm-hmm. and when I watch this movie again, which I will do because it's um it's, it's wonderful. I will choose many other things. This is just what I could think about really quickly. Uh, it, 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 and I think really quickly before we move on, yeah, the 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 shots of the of the clothing of the materials of the material world where this movie takes place is extraordinary i think it's how it's shot i mean it's, i think this is specifically cinematography which is the lens that you use the cameras that you use everything is so beautifully detailed and crisp and mm-hmm. uh, the attention to detail is just uh, the attention uh, to this yes you've, it, you've it, said it correctly okay okay, okay baby so last question in our quiz if given the chance would you time travel to this period Yes or no? Oh my God! So would I travel to 1930s Korea under Japanese rule? Yes, it's a tough question. Um, I'm going to say no because, and 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 this is why, not because of the place, because I would love to go to Korea. And Japan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Very much. I would love to go to Korea, but not under Japanese rule. That must have been pretty terrible. Um, so just living under any colonial uh, rule must be uh, a, a, a terrible, terrible way to live. Um, but why? I, I, because I don't like the 1930s. This is not a period that attracts me. Um, I, I am more attracted to you know, more removing to the past, more, more removing to the past. Like this is, this is a time where, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. Of course, the condition of women must have been better than if I go back to 1830s. Uh, yeah, although 2022, we see that not much has changed overall. But um, yeah, so I, I don't know if I would go. I don't know if I, if given the choice, I don't know if I will go there. What about you? Would you time travel to 1930s uh, Korea? No, Nene. And you know why? It's because it's too relatable. Everything that it's in the 20th century, for me, if I reflect on it, it's too close to our history, even though it's 100 years ago. But it's already too relatable. The further back we go in time, the more abstract it becomes. It's, it's, a, it's a silly explanation, maybe. It's a, it's a lame excuse, no. maybe. No. But it's no. If everything for me um, in the 20th century is too relatable. It's too close. So yeah. um, it, 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 
I could relate to my grandma. I could relate to um, my in-laws, grandparents who suffered so much. It's uh, just on the verge of the Second World War. So you know what's going to happen. So it's um, it, it, it would open up too many wounds that we know are coming. Yeah. So oh, it's a yeah. it's a tough time. It's a tough time to time travel. <laughs> Uh, absolutely. And, and, you know, I, um, for me, it's the same. Uh, it's too close. It's too close to our own time. There's scars. There's, you mm-hmm. know, the, 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 yeah, the, in, and the further back you go, the more abstract and the more yeah. I just want to see how it was. The more curious I am. It's like I really, because it's almost like the further into the past you go, it feels like you're going to another planet almost, mm-hmm. which is not true. It's not true. Human emotions probably are, you know, is the only constant, right? Human nature and human emotions are probably the only constant, but progress allows it. But the 1930s is a bit close. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. So that was the first time for our Wicks and Candles quiz. Woo! Woohoo! Now, uh, finally, to wrap our discussion... Uh, let's do our wicks and candles rating. And we are in our third season and we have never explained our rating. We just started rating things. But uh, let's just, uh, it's the first episode of season three. Um, so our rating is an overall rating from one to ten, where one is a very sweaty wig and ten is essentially very perfume wig, perfectly perf- perfectly perfume and powder wigs and perfectly shining candles. So one to ten. So Gabby, how many wigs and candles you give the handmaiden by Park Chan Wook? Undoubtedly Nene, uh ten wigs and candles. It's it's um it's been a treat for heart, soul and eye. <laughs> um mm. <clears throat> certainly one of the best one of the most shining candles we have had in our podcast series, um, both uh, from the um, cinematography point of view. As I say, technically, I think this movie is perfect from A to Z. Script, directing, um, production, costume design, makeup design, set design. For me, it's it has no flaws. And also because of the story, because the plot was so incredibly written. Um, not everybody can tell a story with three points of view. Yeah. We know that this can go really wrong <laughs> in other films. Yes. Yep. If you don't really if you don't really change the content of each perspective, then it's n- nonsense. And this film managed exactly that, that art of really saying the telling the same story from three different points of view. So the content of the film the performances for me, it's an absolute, there's nothing bad to say about this film. How about you? It's a 10 from me as well. 10 wicks and candles. This movie is an absolute masterpiece. Uh, visually, uh, in terms of storytelling, uh, in terms of mood and in terms of, you know, perspective, uh, how to tell a story that is period, but in such an innovative way, um, and, and, yeah, and you're never lost. You are never lost, but your hand also is not being held. 
you're, you know, you're, uh, this is an, a, a director that uh, respects the intelligence of the audience to figure things out and who trusts the filmmaking to, you know, to tell you what's happening, you know, to, to, they don't have to spell things out, you know, the storytelling, the visual storytelling, the script will tell you. Um, so I, I think it's a, it's an absolute masterpiece that I will be watching. I mean, it, in every level, um, it's enjoyable, uh, to me, uh, that is period that it happens in Korea, uh, the costumes, the acting, the mute. We haven't talked about the, the score, the score Amazing. was so extraordinary because it was, it was that in between, and I, I saw like a little clip of um, behind the scenes, the making of the movie, and, and um, the set designers used a word called Pan Asian. Uh, and I think you also used that word at some point. So, uh, going further than Pan Asian is so strange because the movie has like a strange mixture of the kind of like the feeling of a. Merchant Ivory, British period film at times with the with the soundtrack is very lush and romantic, but the images are so Japanese, mm -hmm. and the contrast between you know this shot of a perfect bamboo tree, but with this very kind of uh, European score is just a. It's just mesmerizing. It's just, uh, you know, your mind is constantly trying to, you know, digest all of these elements at the same time. And I think this movie requires multiple viewings, not to yes. understand it, not for understanding, but because it's so enjoyable. It's so gorgeous. I would love to see some of those shots again. This is the perfect movie to watch as a student too, because when you're yes. a film... Yeah, when you're a film student, you can watch something and you have a lot of material here to analyze symbolism of placement and shots. Uh, like there's so much here for a film student writing a paper because you got the, the, the visual language is so rich. Totally. Yeah, totally, 10. Totally agree. So it's a, it's a double 10 for the handmaid. Woo! Round of applause for our first yes. <laughs> South Korean film. I'm so happy, Gabby, that we chose this movie, that we took a chance. Um, and I hope we did it with humility because obviously we are not knowledgeable of this director, although he's very well known and respected. It's our first uh, encounter with his work. And it's been certainly not the last one. Mm, that's right. I had the chance to go see another of his films during the film festival here in Vancouver, and it was oh extraordinary as well. But that's a story for another episode. Very well. So, Gavi, thank you very much for this discussion. Thank you for the discussion questions, for filling out the quiz, uh, and, and, and thank you for listening and coming back to season three. Yes, thank you and stay tuned for more exciting discussions on our new season. Thank you very stay much. Stay tuned. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Wicks and Candles is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
and Stitcher. So go ahead and subscribe and follow us on Instagram at Wigs and Candles. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Wigs and Candles is written, hosted and produced by Andreina Romero and Gabriela Mochen Romero. The image design is by Pamela Rollin. The podcast theme music is the Concerto for Two Violins in D Minor by Johann Sebastian Bach.